Hi, everybody. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you're listening to another DevOps Chat Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Constance Kirbinolis, software engineer with Omniscient. Constance, welcome to DevOps Chat. Great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. Oh, I'm excited too. I love having, pardon the term, but rock stars like you, developers that are doing some cool work on our podcast. The topic is service mesh at scale. But before we get into that, uh, would you first just introduce yourself? Maybe tell us a little bit of your background as a software engineer, what you do uh, currently at Omniscient, and if you could tell us a little bit about Omniscient. Yeah, so uh, I've been in the industry for several years. I first started off at Microsoft, uh, so I got a lot of good experience in terms of building large components that need to run reliably. Uh, so I worked on Windows and Windows Phone there, and then I moved to Lyft three and a half years ago, where I purposely joined uh, to work on Envoy with Matt Klein and Jose Nino and others uh, within Lyft. And at Lyft, I worked on all aspects of Envoy, from configuration management to adding either integral features for our open source community or just rolling it out within Lyft. Uh, the last few months that I was at Lyft, I worked on uh, within our data platforms team, just mm-hmm. building a variation of a workflow, um, a workflow tool. And so now I actually just joined Omniscient not too long ago. And uh, I'm going to be focusing a lot on the open telemetry component. Uh, mm-hmm. We're using open telemetry. There's so much valuable data that tracing provides that it's actually instead of just looking at individual, trace, individual traces, you're able to get a whole understanding of what an application does and what impacts errors have and how they propagate using that tracing data. Easy to see why you made the transition from your work on Envoy at Lyft and now at uh, Omniscient. Well, let's start out with talking about service mesh, uh, microservices, of course, containers, et cetera, et cetera. That's certainly the, how we're developing applications these days. And Service mesh brings some other things to it. I think some more complexity because you're talking about a configurable low latency infrastructure layer that's you know really designed to handle network-based inter-process communications at, at high volumes. So that right there tells you that there's complexity involved in any time you're building software or creating applications. How you run that in that kind of a service mesh architecture has got to bring with it some challenges. In your experience, what, what are some of those challenges that you've seen? I think the big one, especially how it ties back to Envoy's main goal is to provide observability, is that as you break components apart and put them in different parts of the internet, right, knowing what is still working versus not working and, defi- and having a consistent definition of that is very challenging. Uh, a good example that we love to use when we're talking about Envoy, especially before people have adopted Envoy, is that you know, there is no standard definition of what a failure is, right? Some people may say that a 503 is not an error. Please don't do that. But, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll avoid that on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, right. But there, if you don't have, not having a standard definition of error across different languages and tools makes it actually hard for, you know, people from different teams or just say higher up, you know, VPs or directors to know if things are working or not. Observability just across any of service mesh is pretty complicated. Another one thing is definitely coordination in terms of topology, especially if we're talking about coming from a monolith. One of the benefits of a monolith is that you know where all the code is. You can figure out where the dependencies are because it's usually within one repo and you can just read it. But then the other, and that's definitely great because you know you need to see where everything is, but when it gets really large, you know, it could take a long time to build, deploying it. You have some pieces of code that run maybe you know, once every 10 minutes. So why does 
that need to be running alongside something that's high priority and needs to be really efficient. When you're breaking things apart, it's going to be harder to actually correlate, you know, how things interact, right? Mm-hmm. Say, and as everyone who, as everyone usually tries to keep documentation up to date, you know, sometimes you'll forget like, oh, I'm actually calling this API that just moved to service B instead of some sort of service A. And so keeping that mental model of the service topology is very challenging and mm-hmm. is so dynamic. Especially with the microservices architecture, we're creating so many more of them too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Right. Especially like, you know, it could be say one person's like start of day where like, hey, just create a new service and deploy it and like let it invoke a very low priority API call. Right. That's, you can be like, depending on how many people you hire, like totally example, blowing up the number of services very quickly. And I would say probably third challenge of microservices. One is then actually operation is that from an operation point of view, how do you remediate things when things go wrong? Mm-hmm. Right? Because unfortunately, things will go wrong. And usually the goal of any application is to stay up as long as possible and to serve customers, whatever your definition of customers are. And how do you build tools to handle things when things do go wrong? And how do you maybe standardize that? So that way, you don't have to train the company's engineers in 10 different tools to say, handle a certain error case or, you know, three different error cases and standardizing that. Very interesting. I mean, that's compelling to me why you might pursue a path of using a a tool like Envoy. Tell us a little bit about how did you end up using Envoy? I joined Lyft to work on Envoy because I had actually met Matt almost a year before I ended up joining Lyft, but he was talking to me about how, like, when we were talking about it, it's just, you know, there is a need for Lyft to scale because especially one of the big problems that was experienced is that we were we were not getting really good observability on our ELBs. And mm-hmm. so sometimes we could see things. We know that, say, I was, an example, I was trying to request the ride. But when we look at our metrics, we wouldn't be able to see things failing. And so that was definitely clearly led to an issue that we need to solve, that our observability along just our regular request path need to be improved. Okay. And so when Matt and I, and that's just one example, uh, Matt definitely talks more about the motivation of why Lyft built Envoy, I think in one of his earlier talks. Yeah, it was definitely and also just, it was an area I've always loved infrastructure and backend. And so being able to build something that the entire company is reliant on, right? Lyft being able to scale is a roadblocker to us being successful. And so Envoy allowed us to scale because we could add 10 or 100 services instantly and not have to worry about service discovery. Mm-hmm. And so just being a part of something so critical and the opportunity to just learn so much. And like, I'm going to say, like, I definitely, mm-hmm. I was intimidated by the project. And so I love the idea of joining a project where I'm going to get mentally get my ass kicked in terms of like, I have no idea what this is. I have like <laughs> swimming in the deep end with sharks and I can't wait to see if I can learn how to swim and see how great of like how this shapes me as a developer. <laughs> yeah. You are a courageous person. Not everybody's <laughs> willing to expose them so that way to that much risk. So con- congratulations. It's great. Fantastic. I mean, more of us should do that. Well, you you gave a talk just recently, I think it was December of 18, uh, KubeCon, talking about reducing yes. the mean time to detection, specifically with Envoy for Service Mesh. Say a little bit about that. Yeah. So a lot of the talks so I'm going to say we as a community. Uh, there's a wonderful community of either contributors and maintainers and also just people who've written blogs around Envoy. A large of the community has talked about either Envoy's features and how it's helped them 
you know, from more even more of a technological point of view of how it's helped them to scale and become reliable and just debug issues. But it was definitely one thing that we've even experienced internally is how do we translate that so the rest of the developers, and by I say the rest of the developers, like application developers, not the mm-hmm. DevOps or infrastructure engineers who are either enabling Envoy and tweaking it, how do the rest of the application developers use Envoy to their benefit day to day? And so I, I was trying to make a talk that would show how I use Envoy at Lyft to identify where issues are coming from and build that up to be more digestible to everyone else. Also trying to highlight that I know that with the amount of work that I've done on Envoy, I have built my own blind spots about things that I've forgotten mm-hmm. were <laughs> critical. And so I was using an example that like, you know, I had a very loose definition of HP status codes before I joined Lyft. And, you know, I'm sure there's so many application developers who don't have that, you know, who don't have a solid idea of what those mean. And so I would have to give presentations on what these meant or what these stats meant and how they relate to Envoy just so that way everyone would have the same set of tools going forward to better debug issues when they happen. So yeah, I was trying to make that digestible as a presentation. Interesting. Yeah, I heard the talk went over very well. I'm sure you had a lot of people come up to you after with uh, some good questions or wanting more information. So that's that's a great way to share. I mean, when you and others contribute back to the community, you know, not just code or, or other things, but also talks. And uh, people get to see real applications of Envoy mm-hmm. and other technologies. Anything that uh, you've kind of walked away with in terms of learning since giving that talk about either meantime, reducing meantime to detection or uh, implementing Envoy for service meshes? I think some of the bigger learnings is that, or maybe the learnings that I resonate more with me is that these type of talks need to happen more, especially like with an Envoy and, you know, giving like, say, like an intro debugging talk or even making like interactive. Mm -hmm. So like, say, if we're able to set up a test environment where we had Envoy set like a mini microservice environment, and then you can do like test requests and see how they failed. And after give people a hands-on safe way to learn how Envoy worked, that'd be really great because you can see everything on a slide, you can listen to it and can resonate, but applying that to -to day-to-day is a little hard without there either being someone to bounce ideas off of. Envoy as a project itself has been really, really successful. And there's been amazing contributions and hearing. And we've got to, like, I was very lucky to work with a lot of really smart people from Google and like all these different companies. I'm just mentioning Google because those are the people I worked with most closely, but you know, all these really, really smart people. And so I got to learn from them indirectly or directly, I should say. But it's also at conferences, people would come up to us and then say like, oh, I was trying to do this with Envoy. And you're like, oh, I never thought of that. And <laughs> EnvoyCon, there was just like 30-minute talks of like people would come up with like, oh, well, we're trying to do this one case here. And so we built our own filter and we did that thing that way. And you're like, whoa, that is really cool. Like just seeing how other people think of a problem differently really can highlight, you know, either gaps in our own knowledge or like, oh, maybe we should try their approach. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe that's the most valuable thing about conferences. Maybe, you know, I get to share with people, but hearing what other people have thought about this topic really teaches me a lot about different ways to solve a problem. It really um, is. A talk really is almost like initiating the, the two-way conversation gets to happen. That's what kind of seeds it with lots of good information for people to come up and talk with you after. So that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's a really good way of saying it. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what advice would you have for anyone who is maybe not experienced in using Envoy if, if they're just approaching it? Um, mm-hmm. How would you suggest that they get started and maybe you know, are there some early, early, early lessons learned that you could share with them 
about how to you know, more effectively use it? Usually when these type of questions come up, I always ask people what problem are they trying to solve? At least like one common question that was at KubeCon, and since this is the context of KubeCon, is should I migrate to Kubernetes versus Envoy? And mm. I always reply back with like, well, what is your most pressing problem? Are you having issues with you know, network observability or standardization, you know, like standardization of ish, uh, uh, error cases? Or is it that you know, your current deployment pipeline isn't working as expected? And so mm-hmm. say they want to focus more on the Envoy part, then I want to, then it's like finding out more about their topology. And so the Envoy configs, Anyone who's definitely worked with Envoy and has listened to this will probably giggle at this. The Envoy configs are definitely overwhelming, <laughs> especially for those who aren't initiated into it. Um, and so starting off really simple. Either Matt, I think Matt, myself, one of us had talked about, you know, how we had rolled out Envoy at Lyft. And so we started off with either, you know, either do it at Edge or do it at Ingress within the service mesh or Egress. And slowly built that up there is like building up at one part of the interactions instead of doing it all at once because all at once there's just there's so many components that can go wrong like a mis one misconfigured value like mm. it could be a technically correct value but say if you put the wrong port but mm. you configure it everywhere then finding out where that went wrong is very hard so definitely my advice would be starting off small set a really clear scope either ingress or egress out of one service or set of services or just at your edge. And then building that trust within your developer community. So once you have that, definitely start educating the rest of the developers who are using it saying, hey, like, you know, this is how the errors look like. And this is what that means and helping them see that value. Because once also developers see the value, it definitely simplified, or at least for what I've seen, it simplified their lives because they no longer have to spend time okay like i know this one error is failing but like either which service is causing it or do i know if it's a network issue or is it you know bad application code with lyft envoy was able to very much isolate it to like oh service b is having a bad day and we can see if it's having any other impact anywhere else but at least we know where to focus on service b Mm -hmm. Um, and if there are any like questions the the slack community the slack channel for envoy is very responsive if you do run into issues like always ask questions there or post an issue on GitHub and people do make a really concerted effort to reply as quickly as possible. Like I would say the That's community, fantastic. I really respect them and love them. And I do miss working with them on mm-hmm. a more daily basis. <laughs> Can you maybe translate or transition into a little bit of what you've been doing at Omniscient? What kind of work are yeah. you doing now? I'm actually going to relate a little bit back to uh my KubeCon talk. Part of my KubeCon talk, right, was talking about how I have this one issue. I know it's hitting, you know, I get like, say, if I'm going to use an example, I think what the example I used in the talk was I can't see photos. And so I know it hits on the edge and it goes from service A to service B to service C. What allowed me to do that with Envoy is that Envoy has very clear metrics of your upstream and downstream callers. And to avoid defining that within here, because some people have different definitions, pretty much Envoy tells you what services you're dependent on. And so without having those metrics of knowing what your service is dependent on, sometimes it is hard to track down what piece of code is causing an issue. So one way actually people do that is actually with traces, right? If you trace, say, I know that this request is failing, I could look for this trace and then see that it's going from service A to service B, service C, which is really valuable. So what Omniscient is trying to do is actually flip tracing on its head because usually the normal paradigm is to look at an individual trace and then try to correlate other data around it. You know, either it's like an input value to a request. It's either, oh, we know it's always service B that's having 
after the deploy is having a bad time. And so it's usually start from a really granular data point and build out the information. We take all the trace data and you're able to see that everything went from surface A, some things go to B, some things go to C, D. And then so if something's going wrong, there'll be a red line and you'll say like, oh, I know that service B is causing these errors. Let me look more into it. Mm, that seems so, extremely useful. Yeah. And it's and it's like, it's actually, it almost would make my talk from KubeCon obsolete because I am trying to teach the mental model that I built with using Envoy is like, I follow the service graph, mm-hmm. but I follow it through some metrics that Envoy produces. I wish you the best. It's tools like that that really are essential to be able to grow the infrastructure the way that we're building software now. Congratulations on the move, and I'm excited for you, Constance, and wish you all the best. Thanks for being on the podcast. Mitch, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be on the podcast. I had a lot of fun. Well, I did too, and I'm honored to have you on here too. You've listened to another DevOps Chat podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Constance Kermanolis, software engineer at Omniscient. And thank you too, of course, our listeners for joining us. This is Mitch Ashley with DevOps.com, and you've listened to another DevOps Chat podcast. Be careful out there. (laughs) 